Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Preparing to live stream meeting is now streaming live on YouTube. All right, going to find out. I think based yeah. on last episodes, we are we're we are live right now. So let's just go. All right. That's right. Well, it's uh, value after hours. It's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, which means at 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. I think that's how it works. UTC. Sorry, guys. I've, I've, lost, the, I've lost the horizon there. Australia, it's like 3.30 a.m. Good luck to everybody figuring out what time we record this. What's happening, fellas? I was thinking the other day that I'm mad about our time zone difference now because we can't do our Thursday night hangouts. Yeah, you you messed that one up, Bill. I did. Three hours is a big difference. Yeah, Toby. That's what's happening. You asked me. That's that's exactly what's happening. J JT, you, you might have to turn your mic up a little bit. You're a little bit, you're a little bit quiet there. A little bit. That's what background. I was saying, dog. Huh. I'll just try to talk louder. Then How's just that? just get a little bit. Just just shave with it. I can't get any closer. <laughs> What's uh, yeah. so? What's happening, fellas? What are we? What are we talking about today? Well, yeah. Last week I picked on the thirty percent cash position. So this week I'm going to offer how to hedge it. Ooh, I'm all ears for that. Cyprus, what's up? What's good? I think that might be you. Might be our first Cypriot. Welcome to the show. What about you, JT? You got some veggies prepared for us? I do. Some I have a baby carrots. Yeah, it might be a fun one. I'm so you know my kids are in in homeschool this year, uh, lamentably. But we uh, <laughs> they so we did. You know where I live is about a half an hour drive from Coloma, which is where they found gold in for the gold rush in California in 1848. Uh, wow. So we uh, we did a little field trip last week up to the up to Coloma to talk about the the gold rush, and uh, after. I found some parallels that might be interesting for us to talk about. So I've got some good stories to share on that. Well, that sounds good. Uh, it's Goob's asking what time it is. Uh, it's like 10.32 on the West Coast. You have to figure it out from there. What about you, BB? What do you got? I just said what I was going to do. It's hedging. Ah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer the hedge to the 30% cash. All right. That sounds good. Is that um, 60-40 Tesla Bitcoin? Is that the hedge? Yes, it actually is something similar to this. Yes, that's exactly right. I'm going to talk about, so I think growth got crushed in Q1, but I think growth has uh, had a nice little run for the last month, which means that value's been treading water a little bit. I don't know what it means. I just want to test the uh, test the crew, test the audience, see where we're going from here. I want some predictions carved in stone, written in blood. Glad to see those guys finally catching a break. Isn't it good? You like to see you like to see that happen. Yeah, warms the heart. Now, <laughs> now, nah, nah. who wants to go first? Who wants to take the uh, take the arrows? Hmm. I don't want to hear this hedge that Bill's got. All right, let's do. Well, that. yeah, I just think that, first of all, I stole this from my man Alex, but I think he's right. Uh, 
So we were discussing like how, you know, if you are worried about valuations. Uh, so, okay. So let's say that you're, you're concerned about valuations to like being too high. There's a world where you can say, okay, well, I'll buy some puts. There's also a world that you can say, well, I'm going to hold some cash. But like, if you go to 30% cash, that's really kind of a market call. So his thought was you should buy like YOLO calls on the fastest running stuff to offset your head, your cash hedge or cash position. And I actually kind of like that idea. Yeah, I like that too. That was that was what I – we talked about this a little bit. Uh, I'm pretty sure we did this on a podcast, but we one of the things that – hedging the right tail, and if you're going to cash up, I think it was something that um, – uh, what's his name? <laughs> and it's just escaping me. The Google uh, – Rishi. It was Rishi's idea, right? Get some cash in, in Q1 2020. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. buy, the, buy the leaps. So if you're – if the market doesn't fall over and it rockets from where you are, you've already got a little bit of exposure, but you've you've kind of decided how much you're prepared to lose if it goes the other way. Yeah. I kind of like that. It's a like, I don't know. I think that there's there's instances in the market where I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, but I like that Adam Robinson, when he once said that things that make sense and things that don't make sense are where you should look because a lot of the times if you say something doesn't make sense it's your version of the world that actually doesn't make sense i like the idea of using a small portion to like hedge what i think is correct in the off chance that i'm not omniscient which is obviously a false assumption but i do i do like that it's it's intriguing to me I mean, do you think that those are mispriced right tail insurance? Calls? Yeah. Leaps? It would seem to me they're not in this sort of market. I wouldn't yeah. think so either. Yeah, but, but by definition, you don't think so if you're 30% in cash, right? And this is all a hedge on your own mind. Like, it's kind of, but it's also the way you've, you've also got to... Um, you know, there's, there is also this principle that you're trying to buy stuff that's undervalued, right? And so I try to be a little bit guided by that. So I think that the time to buy crash insurance is often, you know, when the market's ripping, like that crash insurance is cheapest at um, at the tops. I'm talking about upside insurance. Yeah. I, I, get, I think it's a good idea. I do think it's a good idea because it's it does... Uh, it does sort of force the humility. Like you, you're just saying, what if I'm wrong? That's literally all you're saying. Yeah, and I know that it's kind of nuts, and I understand that, like, as as a value person, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I get that that's not what Buffett did. I'm just like, I'm not Buffett, and at the end of the day, like, if I underperform for six years, it's going to hurt me emotionally. So is that a way to hedge that risk and make myself more rational? It's just kind of like a fun theoretical discussion. Isn't that why you invest Emotionally. What? <laughs> to get hurt emotionally. That's why you. Oh no, yeah, well, that's true. That's a good point. Yes, it's a uh, it's a good pursuit for people that hate themselves. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a it's FOMO guardrails. Yeah. Yeah. But also, about- like, it is FOMO. But on the other hand, it's also like 
there are things that happen that that um I don't know. There, there are paradigm shifts in the world that occur that are not just FOMO related. Um, so I don't know. It's just, but it's it is tough, right? So I look back at like 1996 is a is a big inflection point where uh, previous to that time, the you know if you're using a cyclically adjusted PE something like that, it had been trading sort of around 15 times. Pretty, you know, it moved in big waves, but. 15 times was the median in 1996, which is coincidentally when Schiller publishes his paper on the Schiller PE. Since that time, it's been consistently a long way north of uh, 15. It's probably 20 or 22 for the last sort of 25 years, I guess. So that that's a paradigm shift. I don't know if it's permanent, but like 25 years is getting pretty, uh, that's a generation. That's pretty long. It's hard to see how we go back to, a long run average P, I mean, Schiller P of 15. And having said that, like market gods strike me down, like show, please show me how my lack of humility, like let's go back to a 15 world. Yeah. To get back to a 15 mean over the, that's going to be a rough 25 years. Well, you could just trade around it, right? Like, yeah, but you're right. It's, it's, it's going to be uh, while we're, while we're losing the tail of this, uh, of this long period. Yeah. It's going to be cheap. But you, when you look back over the the Schiller PE over long, like it has spent lots and lots of time under, like six, I think the the long run means now sixteen point six or something like that. So it's spent roughly half the time below that level. It's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, and the other thing that like I think is um, hard to believe is even though. I mean, look, there's there's one world where you just say, well, it's it's all been multiple expansion. So this is all tenuous. But um, I don't know. I mean, like a bit of businesses like Google's Google's clearly at Google, Amazon, um, Microsoft at scale are clearly much better businesses than anything we've seen before. Right? They've got very extremely high returns on invested capital at this level. Like they, basically they need no capital in those businesses. They could just be trading on infinite numbers and then they've got gigantic margins and they're going to be difficult, if not impossible to replace. And now they're a big chunk of the, of the index too. So I, I can sort of see how you could get to an argument where you, you would expect a higher Schiller PE given the composition of the index. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's right. Given the composition of the index, um, the other thing that like is really hard for me to sort of see where like, like where we we talk about dispersion a lot, right? And I guess that part of, I I don't know whether or not um, it's mispriced, right? But like these big companies, they have a lot longer growth runways than a lot of the previous sort. I think that they can reinvest for a long time. I mean, and it they've turns demonstrated out, that. Look at Amazon, like 48% on $100 billion. Like, what? Yeah. It's hard to and, believe. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're comping that against, like, uh, you know, I don't know, the, the US real GDP growth from 2000 to 2009 was 1.8%. And from 2010 to 2019 was 2.3 percent despite all those deficits like there's just no growth there so what's that like over the full history yeah that's low growth you're saying that's low growth yeah, yeah it's like almost nothing it's it's uh anemic so i, I mean 
what you've got. Uh, we'll start at 1940, just because whatever. I'm happy to go back a little further, but uh, 40 to 49, 5.4%, 50 to 59, 4.3%, 60 to 69, 4.4%, 70 to 79, 3.3%. 80 to 89, 3.1, 90 to 99, 3.4, then 1.8, then 2.3. So it's like growth has just collapsed. Yeah. But why do you think that is? Just the size of the, you just can't grow at those rates forever or what's the reason? Well, I guess some of it's probably that we've pulled forward a lot of the growth through debt and whatnot, I guess. I don't, I don't really. But wouldn't you have seen that? Wouldn't that mean that you had high growth or you're saying that up until I'm saying you've seen it. Right, you've you've seen it from seventy to two thousand, or forty, really forty to two thousand. Right, is maybe what's gone on, but I, I honestly don't know. That's outside. This is getting too hard for me. But then but I do. At, sorry. No, I I just think that like you know your returns on capital matter, but your reinvestment rate does too, right? And like if your economy is only growing two percent you know, average, um, you're somewhat limited in what you can reinvest it, but these big tech companies are not like they're, they're global, which helps. Right. So, so the dispersion of them, like I can understand why assets would be attracted to those businesses relative to the rest. And it's a big difference between when, you know, the top, the biggest company in this, in the S and P 500 used to be, um, uh, XOM, Exxon. Like that was 40% of the index, I think, at one stage. 40% is just insane for something as cyclical as that. Like you can clearly see how that index is going to be a lot more choppy than the current one, which is, I think, that the biggest three or four are like 20% of the index. And they're, they're all those tech companies that have got subscription style revenues and, you know, very wide moats. Yeah. Now, somewhere there's a value investor screaming at their screen. So I will, I will shout you out this. Uh, <laughs> You know, you would think that with those low growth rates, presumably some overcapacity was built in the 90s and some of that, like this is kind of why I like some of these commodity ideas, even though I'm not going to touch them. But I do understand why people would say, well, the industry has been forced to get rational. So on the back end, you're going to have super normal profits, like through a capital cycle theory, right? When there's, you're going from people built in 99 thinking there was going to be a ton of growth. And then you just had just like 20 years of just shit returns. Uh, I mean, commodities, I, I think on this, on this same thing, uh, it was modest proposal had this, uh, thread, but I'm pretty sure that commodities, real returns have not been positive over any yet yeah, on the last hundred years. The CRB index was negative 1%. Uh, last 75 years, like negative 1.7%. Last 50 years, negative 2%. So, I mean, like they just, there's is been no- Is that by virtue of where we are? Like, the, is, that by virtue, is that the end date that creates that? You know, like the end Probably, price? yeah. Yeah, almost certainly. Well, you're, you're, if you're long commodity, you're, you're short human creativity. Yeah. And we've been getting better and better at pulling stuff out of the ground. Although, you know, when you look at oil, like it's we, we're getting we're increasingly heroic kind of efforts to pull it out. That's why you get those deep water, uh, you know, the deep water disaster because we you, to find it, it's a, it's a long way offshore and that's really really deep. And it's like we, we're doing some special stuff to get it up. It's it's amazing that we're still able to do it. Well, and then you got fracking, right? Which I think is a pretty heroic. Uh... You know, that was that was quite creative to be able to frack a well. Now, you know, 
people will say it relied on debt and I'm not making an argument for whether or not it's economic, but like the engineering feat of fracking is pretty impressive. Plenty of equity got ripped up in that too. Yeah. Shout, right. out to, shout out to those bros. Tip, tip went out for the equity investors in the, in the shale. Yeah. So not then, a game you, I wouldn't want to be perpetually long oil. I wouldn't mind flipping the assets, but it's not a game that I would just be long. But then you look at uh, China, like just, just to, to, to sort of go back to where we were before, I was talking to Stig Broiderson over the weekend, and he said that Pinduoduo was the fastest growing um, Chinese sort of listed company. I think he said from from a standing start to where it is now is three years, and it's a $155 billion market cap, I think. And it's just growing at 100% a year. 100% a year. Yeah, that's nuts. I say it's... China's farmers only. It's not. It's not quite. But it's. It's an interest. It's like. It's. It's China's. Um, uh, the. No. It's like. It's like the. Um, Groupon. It's China's Groupon, except they do it right. So. So. But. So. When you're looking at something like that, that's growing a hundred percent a year. Like, I mean, you know, if you put a 50 times sales multiple on it and it drives 85 percent gross margins, like that's maybe not that crazy. I. I don't. I mean, you know, I, to me, the question becomes, okay, well, if it's a $150 billion market cap today, can it become a $600 billion market cap in, you know, 12 years or whatever? I think you've almost got, That's to, tough. Thro- you've got to throw out those sort of old, like the, wh- whatever you think of as being the cap or like whatever you think of as being a big company. Like that's, that definition is always going to change over time for two reasons. One, because we're just pumping out a gigantic amount of money into the you know, everything's being denominated in more and more dollars. So everything's going to go up on that basis. But also because these these businesses, they've really got one interface with the customer. And so they can spend all their time working on that single interface, which means that everybody gets that white glove. You know, everybody's experience with Google is the same for, for good or ill. It means that mistakes are uh, worse Um, good topic. Whose topic was that? Was that yours, Bill? <laughs> yeah, that was. That was me. I, I don't know if it's a good topic. It's just one that I've kind of been thinking about. You know, um, I've, I've just I've gotten less confident that I'm that I'm right over time, and it was just kind of a fun thing to bat around it in, in my head. Uh, and again, it's Alex's idea, and we've talked about protecting to the downside, so it's not like novel, but it was just kind of something I was thinking about today. You want to do the veggies, JT? Absolutely. You, you're a little bit quiet. We're getting we're getting consistent uh, folks, so you might have to shout it. <laughs> people, don't worry. I told them this before it started. I know. I'm on your side. I'm the man of the people. Well, Toby is too. You, you have to you have to subscribe to Jake's audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're putting Jake behind the paywall today. Is that any better than I took my? Yeah, my much cap? better. It's definitely louder. All right, I think my mic's broken or something. We're gonna put you on OnlyFans just for the day. <laughs> get that, get that real money going. Yeah, All you right. sound much better now. Okay, good. All right, so like I said uh, in the intro, this is the kind of gold rush edition of uh, veggie segments. Um, so let me let me start by painting a little picture for you. It's four and a half billion years ago, and the earth is in its early formation and this heavy molten iron is sinking to the core from the gravity. And with it, it, it pulls along most of the planet's uh, precious metals. So like gold and platinum 
So it's estimated that there's enough precious metals in the core of the earth that if they were taken out and put on the surface, that it would be four meters deep around the, the earth. That's that much gold and, and platinum inside of the core. That's about 12 feet. Thank you for the conversion. <laughs> Toby's like a, a farmer's almanac. <laughs> well, I had, to, I, had to, I had to learn all that stuff. I had to translate because I think in, well, I think in feet and meters. Do you think in meters still? Yeah, mostly. Yards, huh. you know, same thing. But they're not though. I'm slightly off. Yeah, yards are a bit smaller. Meters make a lot more sense. Fifteen hundred meters in a mile, right? Sixteen hundred. Is oh, I, okay. I thought it was sixteen fifty yards. Anyway, my bad. Four stadia. <laughs> oh snap! Whoa. How's that for veggies? Yeah, that's deep, deep cut there. How All many right, so- cubits is that? <laughs> so there's also some recent research to suggest that uh, a cataclysmic meteor event that was roughly like 20 billion billion tons of asteroid hitting the earth uh, deposited most of the gold that's in the mantle of earth. So it's when you think about the mantle, the crust, what's the mantle? It's like the in between the very outer crust and the like inner core. I I did not do geography at uh, or whatever. This is geology. Yeah. Geology. So, I mean, the idea that gold is formed inside of like, a neutron star and then you know gets hitchhikes its way to the earth uh, is kind of its own like sort of amazing you know astronomical feat but let's fast forward now and it's 400 million years ago and you're on the ocean floor and this volcano is erupting and it's spewing you know kind of the internal part of the earth out onto the ocean bed floor and that's very metal yeah these uh tectonic forces then thrust mountains up out of this ocean and we get an ice age and it eventually rain is pounding these mountains and it's eroding the soil away and it's causing these rivers that then carry little bits of yellow metal that were buried that came out of the middle of the earth and up in you know thrust from the oceans uh into the mountains and it's, it washes them and, and deposits them quietly into like river and stream beds. And so now let's fast forward and it's, it's 1834. And this 31-year-old man, he flees Switzerland to, uh, to run from his basically debtor's prison. And he leaves behind a wife and five kids, travels around all around America, eventually ends up in, in Honolulu for a while, uh, and then finds his way back to Alta, California, which is uh, at that time was actually a possession of Mexico. It was a territory of Mexico. Now, this man whose name was was Johan, but then changed to John Sutter, he he persuades the governor of that province to give him 48,000 acres in what is now today the Sacramento Valley. And he starts building a fort. And unfortunately, he's terribly abusive to the native population. Um, enslaving them basically uh treating them quite quite shabbily um but he has these dreams of creating this kind of agrarian utopia here in california not for the the natives not for them no um and to go back to like why i talked about the ocean or like the mountains being thrust out like what we were zoomed in on was the sierra nevada mountains that california at one point was under the in the ocean um in a previous you know previous geological cycle um, so that's that's where the all the gold in the mountains came from was 
you know, through volcanoes at the bottom of the ocean that then got thrust up into become these mountains. I think there's a lot of people who'd like to see it go back that way too. <laughs> yeah, back underwater. So 1848 and uh, California becomes a U.S. territory now. And now all of a sudden Sutter is in, he's in the U.S., but I mean, he was living in Mexico before. Um, and he hires this guy named John Marshall to go build a, a lumber mill, um, a sawmill, up about 40 miles upriver from where he was at, his, at Sutter's mill, uh, which happens to be in this little town called Coloma, uh, which I mentioned at the beginning is about 25 minutes from, from my house. Uh, so one morning, Marshall gets up to inspect this, the tail race, which is the like kind of the output part of the mill. And he finds these gold nuggets in there. And he brings Sutter in and they look at it and they do some really rudimentary tests, like, you know, putting it in lye. And uh, they, they realize, oh my God, this is gold. You know what? Lye. Like, What's uh, that? Uh, it's like what people used to use to clean their clothes. Okay. Uh, it's like a very, very basic. strongly basic solution. Um, okay. Good for good for getting rid of dead bodies too. Yeah, apparently. Thank you, Dexter. <laughs> so Sutter is really anxious about this gold because he doesn't want people to know about it. Not because he wants the gold, but because he wants to he wants to build this kind of agrarian utopia, and he's worried that it'll mess up his construction and farming plans. Um, but like any good news like that, it gets out, and this man named Samuel Brennan who. He was actually the founder of the first San Francisco newspaper. He hears about it and he, he runs around through the streets yelling, gold, gold, found up the American River. And by the way, before he did that, he bought all the picks and axes and shovels and pans in the city. And he paid like 15 cents for a pan and then sold it for $15. Yeah. Uh, so he was like, you know, crying uh, gold while he had all the supplies to give away. And he became California's first millionaire, by the way. Um, so the guy, literally the guy who sells picks and shovels to the gold miners is the first millionaire. Yes. That's great. So that's like in March of 1848 is when they discovered gold. It isn't until August of that year that a newspaper in New York publishes a story about it. So, I mean, it took like five or six months to get from the West coast to the East coast. Now, once it gets published, like it's on now, like everybody in the world hears about it and 300,000 people soon arrive in the area, um, which, and they're called 49ers because they came in 1849. And that's, so that's the, where the San Francisco 49ers football team came from. That's how the Rams get their name. No, I'm just kidding. It's the 49ers. <laughs> yeah. So at that time, there's this little sleepy village called Yerba Buena. Uh, and in 1848, or 46, it has like 200 mm. residents. That's good right. herb, by the way. <laughs> is it? Well, that, ta- so. that little town is now called San Francisco. And it has, you know, at that in like 1852, six years later, there's 36,000 people there. So like it just, it's the port where everyone comes in to then try to go get gold. So traveling, um, you know, people came from all over the world. About half of them came from the US, most like the East Coast. And to get there, I don't know if you realize at that time was like a huge ordeal. There was no easy way to get from the East Coast to the West Coast or vice versa. You had to sail down around the tip of South America, and it took five or six months for you to get from one place to the other. Now, there was a shortcut where you could go and sail down to Panama and then ride like a mule for, for like a week and a half through the jungle and then take another sail, uh, you know, steamer up to 
to California, but it's incredibly difficult to get here. Um, and what's even more amazing is all these supply ships that are coming to San Francisco, uh, the guys who are the crew end up just like leaving the ship. Like they can't ever sail them. They just like, they're basically shipwrecked at that point. Cause they all go looking for hmm. gold. Hmm. Uh, and so there's a bunch of stuff that supposedly might've been built out of these old ships in San Francisco. It's like, there's supposed to be a restaurant that was built from a, like a ship that like got crashed because no one was using it anymore. Um, anyway, so here's another interesting little tidbit. There's, there's so many men involved here, right? Like lots of men and not very many women. And they end up doing like the, the social mores, given what they are, the freedom of it, uh, there's a lot of cross-dressing actually that happens. And the men would then like do, they would like, some men would wear a handkerchief at these dances to be the woman in this kind of social interaction. And uh, there's, there's one, there's some theories that think that, uh, you know, kind of the social fluidity of San Francisco and it's, you know, it's, it's a uh, queer history and heritage might've come from that initial, um, you know, kind of relaxation of social mores. Um, so, as the, as you know, people are panning for gold and you can find it relatively easily, but soon that's all gone. Right. So now they have to like the technology has to advance and you have to get more invasive to actually get the gold out of the mountain. So it actually kind of goes corporate. Like you need capital formation and they start placer mining and hydraulic mining. So, which is basically just like shooting a fire hose at the mountainside and washing it away, eroding it, uh, and then capturing the runoff and like filtering through it to get the gold nuggets out. Well, you know, unfortunately, also a bunch of heavy metals are released into the environment when you do that. Uh, and there are still parts of the Sacramento Valley that like won't grow plant life because of the, the runoff from from all this like hydraulic mining. It, what is it? Mercury or what, what do you find in it? I think it's mostly, yeah, mercury, but um, I, I don't know what other. Um, so <clears throat> for basically from that time until now, there's been about 3,700 tons of gold taken out of the mountains, uh, which is about 2% of the 187,000 that have been produced, uh, like basically from the beginning of time. Um, now, like how did this, ha what happened, like what was the average experience uh, economically of people who were making this huge move, right? About half of them made like sort of a modest profit, not really much to write home about. Uh, but most, like most of the late arrivals were completely wiped out, right? Like all the gold's gone, everything's expensive. Um, most of the merchants eventually end up failing too, the ones who popped up to service this population. And save for a few like notable exceptions like Levi Strauss, who, who created denim uh, overalls that were very popular. Um, and so Levi's is still a, a brand today. Um, now there's, there's some interesting social implications that came from this kind of gold rush mentality. And it, it really gave birth to the California dream, uh, which... You know, before that, the old American dream was sort of a, a, a Puritan's version, you know, Benjamin Franklin, get a little wealthier every day type of mentality. Well, now it's like you get rich quick and it's usually some combination of audacity and good luck that come together to get you, you know, super rich overnight. And we saw that in agriculture in California at later periods, oil drillers like Getty, um, you had you know, obviously like Hollywood and movie making and like people coming to be actors and actresses and wanting to get rich overnight and famous uh, airplane manufacturing and then, you know, computers and chip manufacturers and Silicon Valley. And, you know, when you look at it and like, you know, dot com, obviously like that dream, that California dream is like it's 
it's kind of been unicorns all the way down since then. Um, and so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, so let's maybe tease out then sort of some, some interesting things to today, which I think sort of relate to actually cryptocurrencies, uh, which might be kind of a similar modern day gold rush. Um, whereas, you know, it's a get rich quick kind of dream that everyone is on. I tend to think that the majority of them will probably not get rich quick. Um, and the, uh, I, I think it's also sort of shows it's, it can be a distraction from the real like creation of economic value of goods and services for people. Right. Because, you know, just like gold, them finding gold in a, in the pan and in the river didn't create goods and services. Um, neither does, Bitcoin create goods, goods and services necessarily. Uh, it's just a means of transacting, right? Um, and interesting enough, the, the actual Sutter's Mill, the one that was built, um, the miners came and they tore it down because they needed the wood to like make little shanties and burn it to stay warm. <laughs> so we took productive capacity of like, hey, we need a lumber mill to create things. And we went kind of a step backwards in advancement. Um, which kind of gets back a call back to the one of the segments we had quite a while ago on Eugene von Brombalwerk's work on the marginal utility of like grains of sack. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Yeah. So we took a lumber mill that could produce lumber and like we had to burn it to stay warm, basically. Um, so so that people could go looking for little shiny bits of metal in the river. Um, and then the last thing is like, you know, maybe both of them have kind of trashed the, the environment in ways um, that's kind of an eerie parallel. So I, I have one more discussion point, but anything you guys want to talk about in that in, from the last like, you know, 10 minutes of me rambling. Goob is saying, listen to Bill and Preston podcast and then see how you're wrong, Jake. So Bill, you better give us the, uh, the summary. I never said anything about anything. No, like, no, I, a, I, I understand it. A comment. Comment. I understand. I am not the arbiter of Bitcoin truth. I think Preston has a very articulate and thought out answer. And people should listen to Preston for Preston's opinion. I do not know anything about Bitcoin for real. You can't summarize what he said. It's hard to summarize two hours of really thoughtful discussion and like a quip. I, I, I mean, I think if people are into it, one, they one should... tweet go. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I'm not like a hater or a lover of Bitcoin. Uh, I, that was a conversation I wanted to have because I think Preston's an interesting dude. Um. You know, for me, I, I've I view sort of Bitcoin as the similar idea of uh, basically, you know, just like short fiat or short some currency that it's priced in. Um, and I sort of understand the elegance of the math. And you know, I don't I, I don't have like many deeper thoughts than that. I wish I wish I had like this great answer, but. I mean, look, if you don't like dollars, I don't mind a system that was created to allow people to keep their wealth in a mathematical formula. If that's what they want to do, then that's fine. If it all goes away, though, like, you know, that wouldn't shock me. If it explodes higher, that wouldn't shock me either. Like, I, I don't really, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a lot of storing of wealth if, if you have these really large bookends on where it's going to go. Well, I think Preston would say that you don't. And like, I haven't, I just haven't done the work to have an informed conversation about it. I, I know that, I know that it's incredible for ratings. And if I truly ran a media company, <laughs> I would talk about it nonstop 
outside of that, I have no strong opinion. That's fair. So I'll oh, go ahead. Tell me. I was just going to say that the parallels between gold and Bitcoin, I think are fairly similar in that it is like it's gold getting pulled out of the ground is, is a fairly useless activity because it's not, we don't use it for anything, which is one of the reasons why it's a good currency because it's not consumed like silver, which is used in lots of technical applications. I'm going to, can I just say one thing real quick? Somebody says like in the comments, like it's used for criminal activities, makes it immoral for me. And then don't use cash either. Yeah. Like I, that, that I don't buy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. That's true of anything. That's a unit of exchange, right? It's going to be used for good things and for bad things. You can't, you can't hang it for that. Yeah. And like, uh, I but, don't know, Dalio buying it. Like, I, I just, I don't know. Like when somebody says something like that, like, what does it even mean? What percentage of Dalio's net worth? How much marketing dollars did he get out of buying it? Like, I just, I don't, I don't put any meaning in reading that somebody bought it. Agreed. But it's just another, it's just another currency, right? From my perspective, like I, I'd say it is a currency. If you, if you don't like the way that the dollar is being treated by the Fed because they're pumping so much money out. Yeah, you can get out of it and you can get into Bitcoin or one of the other Ethereum or, or one of the other shit coins, whatever you want to do. I just don't have a view. I don't know how you know where it's going to go. And if I don't know where it's going to go, it's hard to kind of invest in it. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the answer is sort of like some of these. It's it's not, but it's sort of like some of these tech valuations where people are just like, well, it doesn't really matter what happens between now and the next five years. In five years, they're going to be higher. Uh, you know, I guess if you structurally think the dollar is destined to go down forever, then Bitcoin could be the store of wealth. I guess, right? But like, the, I don't know. But can't you can't you achieve the same thing by? using you know you, you buy you buy shares in a company aren't you achieving the same thing yeah my answer is i buy charter which the bitcoin yeah. miner has to link on to their connection in order to mine it and then i get the benefit of john malone using leverage to charge people whatever currency of transaction there will be later and then we use that currency to buy in shares that's my answer do the same with disney like if y'all bitcoin people get super rich that's cool. I hope you spend all your money at Disney. Like, cause you know, park prices are going to go up and I'll take Bitcoin as well as fiat. Like that's my answer. That's so the one, only answer I know how to think of. I like that answer. There's one, an interest. Sorry, dude. I, I, there's an interesting phenomenon in the gold that you were discussing that we sort of, we, we passed over that we should talk about. It's the, all that gold rush in the sense that is the first half of people maybe made up moderately covered their costs, made some money. Probably there were definitely groups of people in there who made a fortune, small group of people made a fortune. But then by the time the vast bulk of people come into it, and you can see this in any fund that does really well, the cash on cash returns tend to be, tend to be bad. I wrote about this in quantitative value, but that's not his fault, but the CG, uh, CGN focus fund, Ken Hebner's fund for that period of time, that was a decade and at the end of the decade, he was morning star manager of the year. And he had compounded at an 18% CAGR over that full decade. The average investor in his funds lost 11% compound over that full period as well because they rush in when it's high and they rush back out again when it's low, You know, doing the opposite of what you should be doing. It's just true of any phenomenon, right? Where there's a gold rush, the people who show up late, they all lose money on it. And if, that, if you can't see the parallel to Bitcoin, then I don't know what to tell you. Well, I guess that this is what I would say in defense of it. Uh, you know, the idea that it's late innings, I think you can still make an argument that it's early innings. But I say this as someone that doesn't own it and isn't comfortable owning it. So you like, know anybody who, who, who doesn't own it or know what it is? 
Um, I mean, I don't own it and I still don't really think I know what it is. I, I guess I, I just have a hesitation to have a strong opinion on it because what I will tell you about the conversation with Preston is that guy's done a ton of work on it. Now, you know, does that mean he's right? No, but I, I wouldn't call like his thesis um, easily dismissible by somebody that's done the amount of work that I have. And that's that's the only opinion that I really will continue to articulate. So if it, if it has this price that it has to get to into the future, like why doesn't it just go to that price in the interim? I mean, I guess because you got to discount what that price is going to be in some sort of interest rate, right? Uh, some interest discount rate. yeah i don't know all right last piece of uh kind of i should just say something like highly inflammatory for ratings shouldn't i yeah we're we're already doing it (laughs) so this this whole idea of the speed of information and how it traveled then and i mean taking five months to get from one coast to the other um you know now if if elon has a thought that pops into his head Within 10 seconds, it can be in 50 million other people's heads like that. And the, the R-naught of virality of information right now is, is gotten so extreme that I don't know exactly. I'm not sure we know what all the repercussions are of that. Um, but it's kind of one thing I've been thinking about is like maybe, it, uh, maybe we just have like booms and busts that play out just really fast and you just have to be really agile right now because things will go crazy and then they'll disappear and then it'll be the next thing. Um, and maybe like the speed of the cycles is, is picking up because of this virality coefficient. Yeah. I, uh, that's, that's an interesting point. That's one of the, the, when I was reading about Commodore Vanderbilt who put in the Commodore, that's a very grand name for him. He was Cornelius Vanderbilt, Commodore by virtue of the fact that he had a whole lot of ships. He, he was the, <laughs> involved in the creation of the Panama Canal and did that trip down where you had to be dragged across the rocks on donkeys and then, or you could carry your boat over. There's a variety of different ways you could do it. And they had the paddle steamers that came in. Non-pleasant. Yeah, non-pleasant. That's right. And you died of like dysentery. You died of, you know, mosquito bites. There were lots of different things that could kill you on the way through. And they had, um, you know, the invention of the steam paddle steamer accelerated all of those trips you could get from the, West, the east coast of the US to England in a reasonably short period of time. But that was still, there was no telegraph until 1841. So that was how fast information went. So you could be arbitrage. You could do gold arbitrage by trading in one place and buying in one place and selling in another. But the arbitrage took months to play out. Whereas now it's, you know, it's, it, it's how fa- yeah, faster. That's why there's less money in it. Or, I mean, plus the competition, right? I mean, yeah, there's less risk in it. Okay. Yeah, harder, har- harder to make money arbitraging something over months than a couple seconds. My heart's not breaking for the HFT guys. I think they're doing okay. Yeah, they're gonna be all right. It's true. Thoughts it and true. prayers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good topic, JT. Um, I guess it's mine. So I, I, I've uh, just observed so we had we had a good little value rally uh from whenever you want to pin it september november last year and it ran through until uh about a month ago and so since for the last month there's been a recovery in in the the techie type names like arc has bottomed out at 109 about 
maybe a month ago. Maybe it's a little bit less than that. And it's had a pretty solid rally here, Tesla too. I just, um, and, and as a result, I've noticed that all of the value stuff's kind of been sucking wind for a month. I, I don't have a view on whether that's necessarily the end of the value rally, although based on the, our experience over the last five years, you know, there's there's some evidence that that might be the case. Once you get a three-month rally in value, it's all over and then it goes backwards. But there's also the experience in, in 99, 2000 and through to 2002 was that there were many, many rallies in the techier, growthier stuff that then ultimately turned around and turned into to busts. And so I'm just wondering if you guys have any view on where we are or what's happening. I'll let Bill take this easy one. <laughs> well, I really don't. Because what, what I, are the I things? Mean, I guess so. Here's the thing that's hard for me to understand. Like, I think that the market can get like way crazy, right? Um, but a lot of these names, I think we've all been fairly consistent saying some of these names will be winners. We don't really know which ones. I don't think anybody has promised to be the person that can pick the one. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be on a podcast doing this shit. We'd probably just be on the beach. Um, what hasn't happened yet? What that we've the, made it to the beach? This the, is the, the winner. Problem. The, the winner hasn't come in yet. Yeah, well, I I agree with that. Um, so I guess what what I was gonna say is like, you know, there's a lot of names that are down like fifty percent. I mean, could they go down ninety? Yeah. Could they go down seventy five? Right. What's the old joke about a stock that's down ninety was down eighty and then halved? So you know, but I, I um. I don't know. I've I've never really bought the inflation comments. Uh, I've always kind of thought it's transitory. I think if that passes, people are going to buy long duration assets. These things are probably going to resume growth as the sales forces can get like not sales forces in the ticker, but like as the sales people can get it back out on the road. I don't know. I don't see why it should stop. I just don't know where else the money flows to. Uh, some like growth is so scarce that if you've got an asset that's grown 50, 60% with 85% gross margins, I think you can tell yourself any story you want. The only point that I was going to make is that the, the successful tech companies like Google, Microsoft, uh, you know, Facebook probably throw that in there, uh, the Fangs, Famgees, they, they're already sort of, uh, that I guess. I guess the, I was going to say they're already pretty pretty mature, but then they are growing at very high rates still. But they, I, I regard those; they're almost sort of more in the value bucket these days. That they're, they're they're not super super expensive. They're sort of trading on they're trading on fundamentals more than anything else, right? Is that fair? What are Microsoft, Amazon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Google. think they're closer to value than anything. Yeah. And that, but they're, they're not really caught up in the wreck. I mean, if you look at the way they've traded recently, I mean, the, the, the complaint last year was that Google hadn't done anything for a while. Yeah, that's right. Um, and like, even I don't know when I like said that Tyler was like arguably value or something, but that's like pretty much flat despite, you know, I mean, it had a run and now it's down. I don't know. Like, I think that, I think shit just got a little nuts. Like, you know, I think for a bit when you hear Fastly pitched as a software company and it's a CDN, which requires CapEx, like it just got a little nutty in certain areas. But um, a lot of those SPACs. things have sold off. Yeah, that's right. Like, so yeah, that's back bubble and stuff. But um, 
I don't a know. Spe- I mean- a spec is a rare creature, right? A spec is like the market is so hungry for equity that people are prepared to just take their equity back by cash and a promise to do something. So basically you're just exchanging your dollars for 80 cents on the dollar with the chance that there's going to be some pop that they're going with to do. With a lot of ticket stapled to it. Yeah. And you're like, that's, you know, that's, that's good enough for me uh, with the idea that as soon as they announce the deal, it's going to, you know, 10 bag or something like that. Like that's that, that kind of behavior. That's really, I think that's super speculative behavior that you really only see right at the tail end of, of a bull market. So I, I would have thought that was one of the indicia of the late stage bull, dying bull. Yeah, I guess it depends what SPAC, right? I mean, if you're buying like a SPAC that has 10 bucks in trust for 10 bucks, then I don't think that that's crazy. If you're paying 16, right. Right. you got some air under it. And if you're hoping that somebody, you know, SPACs some space company and you're paying a 60% premium to trust, then... Not a game I'm comfortable with. But even in the ordinary course, like you wouldn't go and swap, you know, people would, but you wouldn't, right? You wouldn't go and, you're not going to do the SPAC deal before you kind of see what they're going to do, would you? I own one. That's, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> but like, it? It's trading below trust and the warrants are going to separate in 45 days or 40 days. So if I get free warrants and I can sell it close to trust, then I just picked up free warrants. And if I can't, yeah. then I get to put it back to the, the SPAC sponsor. So and it's earn some interest. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't think that's like super speculative behavior. Um, it's no, just like, fair. what the fuck am I going to do with cash? Sit there and collect 50 basis points. And if it's close to trust, I think I should be able to liquidate it for pretty close to trust. So yes. I'm just trying to harvest warrants. So you thought, yeah. So your downside is like nothing and you've got some warrant kickers if it works. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I think about it. I'm just trying to like collect warrants in that particular situation. I'm just trying to work out what's anywhere in. <laughs> I don't know, man. Bill, that's, you're the, that's the fun part. Scorekeeper. I don't know. I I think uh, I think we might get ready for another run here in uh, in some of the crazy stuff. But what do I know? If you have some questions, throw them in, guys. We'll 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 chat about them now. I, I saw some. We'll ignore them. Here's the tough thing about tech, like and and tech investment, right? Like I saw somebody in the comment mention Biden's tax plan. Like these guys aren't going to pay much taxes. They don't run at profits. Like taxes actually hurt mature cash flowing businesses more than these growthy names. So if you were long the growthy names and then taxes came out, I'd even argue that that's more of a reason to get long because you're just further deferring your tax expense. Or you're in Dublin or. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I don't know. Like it's like any scenario that, you can tell me other than valuation compression, like I could argue tech wins. So that's kind of why I think a lot of people will just keep buying it until they won't. If you, if you have an income stream that's, you know, very material, it's like a, a, a public company, big enough to be a public company kind of income stream. And you can convert that into a company that you then sell a portion of it to the public. And so you get some, you get your money, you, you're just converting your income into capital gains in that instance, right? And it makes complete sense to do it because the long-term capital gains rate is so much lower than your marginal income tax rate. But what, if that if that gets changed, which I, I don't know exactly what the tax proposal is, but isn't there some talk about 
increasing the the capital gains tax rate or getting rid of the long term rate. Yeah, probably. I don't know about getting rid of it, but I increasing the capital gains certainly for people I think that make over a million dollars or something. Do you think uh, that the carried interest will skate through again? Yes. Too many rich people like that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I just, I just sort of wonder, like, what, if that Democracy. has some impact. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, part of me is like, okay, so it, let's say that the tax rates go up on capital gains. So, to me, the incentive is to further avoid things like re-ratings. Because then you're playing a re-rating game, then you have to sell the re-rating, then you have to pay more tax. So then I'm saying like, well, I guess I should just like buy an index which can, uh, you know, perpetually on a tax-advantaged way recycle itself or some of these like more compounder type names that you don't have to sell for a long time. Like it's, I don't, I don't know. I just, yeah. taxes to me aren't like the thing that brings the house down. Yeah. At the margin though, it should change your behavior, shouldn't it? Well, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I would actually argue that maybe it would push me into like riskier behavior at the margin or more, more long duration assets, uh, which is kind of nuts, right? All wins. What? <laughs> I said Powell wins. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's not Powell, right? That's, I'm that's I'm the joking. government. Yeah. We didn't talk about uh, Barry's Tesla puts. Do you guys have anything interesting to add there? No, it's not a stock I'm worth listening to. I just, I don't like, those are all notional values that are get quoted anyway. I'd run to know what the real underlying amount was. And it's probably some tiny portion of his portfolio. So that's kind of a non, it's non headline to me, but whatever. Uh, there's somebody says he's getting into shipping. I haven't followed us. I don't follow his 13S that closely, honestly. Burry's getting into shipping. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that. Is it is it late to the party to be getting into shipping? It sort of felt like shipping was huge last year, but it's, I mean, maybe that's when he got into it. I don't know. I think um, I don't. I, the the part of the shipping idea that I sort of understand is like these environmental standards that are coming down the pike, um, potentially like restricting the amount of ships that could possibly be produced, and then you get into the structural shortage. I could see that. What's, what's been the issue with shipping over the last 12 months? It was sort of an issue before. Uh, well, they went nuts. When canals oil not working. Negative. Well, no, it went nuts when oil wasn't negative, right? And then they could like jack prices through the roof because there was no storage because oil right. kept getting pumped and nobody had any demand because the world shut down. That was a little bit too like complicated for me to figure out. It, like, I think the historical problem with shipping is it doesn't generate any cash and a bunch of schmucks have run the companies. Yeah, I think you want to own the steel rather than the equity. That's what I've been. That's what I've been told by folks in that in that business. It seems like but, an incredible business to lend to. But it seems like it's a pretty good growth. Like it's, in terms of secular growth, shipping's got to be. We're just going to be sending more and more stuff around the world over time, right? So it's got to be a pretty good. I don't know. Whereas man. the problem that the supply is yeah. just so the supply is so constant that it, you don't really ever make any money out of it. I mean, I could kind of argue that uh, supply chains get more localized and, yeah. you know, train freight or something is the beneficiary over time. Did you mean goods or armies <laughs> being sent? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Shipping's hard to me, um, but I, it could work. Right. Cuppy did a lot of work on it, right? 
people seem to like to cite him. So that's where I'll direct people to. That's how the echo chamber works. Yeah. Well, there's the definitive answer. It's on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that was on one name I asked for feedback and it, like a couple of people gave me feedback and it all came back to the same guy. I was like, okay, this isn't, this is, these are not varying opinions. He's just one guy. That, that's how, that's how <laughs> it all works. Zero. You got to, you got to yeah. track it back to patient zero. Yeah, that's right. Um, PayPal added a new customer every single second last quarter. Lower regulatory risk than any big tech. Any Dang. thoughts on the stock? Nope. <laughs> Next. Nope. Uh, JT? I don't know enough to have an opinion at this point. I mean, yeah, neither do I. A few people have been talking about it, though. It's, I mean, it's all that stuff is always going to be a little bit expensive looking to me, but I can see how it, they, it's a great business. I bet that uh, eBay's kicking themselves that they, they got rid of it. Probably wish they'd gone with PayPal. Yeah. I don't know. And I'd, I'd ask Elliot Turner. I go to back up to again, your $305 billion business. Uh, so let's see what JP Morgan is. Not that they're the same business. I get they're not the same business. So it's 35 fiftieths of JP Morgan. Do that math seventy percent right? Um, I don't know. Maybe could work. What do you think about Buffett tipping out of uh, Wells Fargo completely and Chevron like dumping half the stake? I mean, I said he was wrong when he did it, and that was seventy percent ago. I, I think he's been wrong on that. I, th- I I don't I don't think he and Charlie. Well, Charlie held Wells. I don't think Buffett's right on Wells. I don't, I, there's something in his mind, I think, that fundamentally misassessed that situation, including when he held it and it was clearly run like a shithouse and he defended them. It's funny, right? Because it's, it's, I didn't, I didn't realize it had such a long association with it. It's since 75 or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, this is not the question for me. It's the question for what's his name? Mead, the guy that was on. Adam Mead. Yeah. yeah. It's a question for him. But I, I think Buffett has had good success with banks when he bought them and they could grow. Right. Like when you think about the wells that he bought in 1975, there were a lot of locations that they could still open up. It was a constant strategy. Uh, didn't have a lot of disruption risk. And I he bought most of it in like, early nineties after California yeah. real estate crack up. No, that's right. That's, that's right. probably he right. Did do I was that. guessing that's 75. Right. Um, but like, I mean, M and T bank, uh, what, uh, or what else did, has he owned? Uh, us bank. Like, I don't, I don't know. Solomon. I think that, yeah. That wasn't a great one. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I just think, uh, I think the problem with Wells is is it's big and it's hard to see how they're going to continue to grow other than like they could grow on a per share basis by eating themselves, but they're North American focused. So like, how are they going to continue to grow when they should arguably take in branches? I, I don't know. I think that's probably what he was thinking, but I just think it's, you know, he never sells. Very, I mean, very, very rarely sells. It's It's grown pretty substantially. So there's a pretty big tax hit. I mean, that's about as, uh, as loud as he ever speaks on anything if he just ships it like that yeah well he was wrong but you i mean you don't know what his he's got other considerations besides just what the stock's going to do right he's i guess man else. i don't think we need to defend him on this like he was uh, wrong i'm just on interested to know. I, 
I'm just telling you what I think. I thought it for a long time. Like I think he defended a previous management team that when that when I read that House report from the Republicans on Wells Fargo, it was shocking how bad that bank was run. And he defended them the whole time. And then Sharf came in and I think something in his head was like, well, this guy doesn't want to even live in San Fran. So I don't trust this guy or something. And meanwhile, Moynihan did the exact same thing at Bank of America. And now Moynihan is like some genius that everybody wants to be, you know, be associated with. I just, I don't, something's wrong. Maybe it's because he thought that the culture is rotten to the core, but why he thinks it now and he didn't think it three years ago is just very, very hard for me to understand because that's when the culture was actually rotten. And now that all of management is turned over and the entire board is turned over, he finally sells like that doesn't make sense to me. When, by the way, it was like $130 billion on $15 billion normalized. Like that, I don't know. I don't get it. Never have. All right. On that note, folks, that's, uh, that's it. We'll see you next week. Stop when the clock hits 13. Sing one, two, three, four. Cause, cause, cause.